What great singing. Can you show our appreciation to our worship team for leading us this morning? Well done. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. We want to continue our study of a chapter where the whole idea is around Jesus preparing to raise Lazarus his friend from the dead, but we're not there yet, and this morning I'd like to begin by saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's the second in a list of beatitudes found right at the beginning of what has often been referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the introduction to Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 5. And verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When was the last time you heard that term, mourn? It's not really a common phrase that we hear nowadays, is it? And yet the emotions that is attached to that word are very much familiar to all of us. Feelings of regret, remorse emptiness, sometimes anger, depression, loneliness, isolation, brokenness, feel lost, helpless. And for some, their mourning becomes even more visible. They leak, they weep, their tears flow freely. Maybe the more common word today is grieve. Blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. In our cultural context, the one place where grieving is acceptable, in fact, it maybe is even encouraged, is at the funeral home. When we gather to celebrate the life, and that's how we refer to it, oftentimes, is celebrate the life of a loved one who has died, we're almost expectant to mourn, to grieve. And here in John chapter 11, Jesus faced the the death of a friend. Last week, we studied the first 16 verses, and we examined how Jesus prepared for the imminent death of his friend, Lazarus. His preparations, we discovered, created some faith builders for his followers. But this morning, the story continues to unfold. Jesus returns to Bethany of Judea from the Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. He came to to console those who were grieving the loss of a brother and a friend. And as he approached this place of mourning, Martha, the sister, or one of the sisters of Lazarus, went out to greet Jesus as he approached Bethany of Judea. And through this encounter with Martha, we discover how Jesus, God dressed in human flesh, became her source of comfort. 
If you're able, please stand with me for the reading from God's Word this morning. I'll begin reading at verse 17 of John chapter 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. That's Lazarus, his friend. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off actually closer to 1.7 miles. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Pray with me. Father, again we pause to acknowledge your presence and invite your spirit to illumine this inspired text. Enable us to understand your intent, why you included this episode in John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And as we gain that understanding, help us to grasp the implications of this text for us today. Times of mourning seem to be an inescapable reality of life. Strengthen us. Give us courage. Keep us from fear and discouragement, we pray. Use this text to teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in righteousness so that we may be adequate, fully equipped for every good work, the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do, individually, and collectively as a local church family by the power of your spirit and for your glory we ask these things in jesus name amen in matthew chapter 5 the beatitudes are describing and experience the people who have entered the kingdom of god and so verse 4 actually is referring to people who are mourning their depravity, 
they have recognized that in and of themselves, in their own strength, they are incapable of living a life that pleases God. That causes them to mourn, to grieve. But in God's kingdom, they will be comforted. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Putting off their sin and putting on the righteousness of Christ. The assurance of salvation. All made possible as we trust Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Believing that he is the Christ, the the Son of God. And as we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we find comfort for our souls. Peace with God. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. But that's not the only time we mourn, is it? We also mourn when we lose something that we value. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. We mourn. We grieve. It could even be a a friendship or an opportunity or health, whatever it is. It's something that we valued, something that was, we considered worth a, a great deal, and now it's gone. Maybe for a time, maybe forever. The point is, we find ourselves thrust into a season of mourning. We grieve the loss as we navigate the stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then eventually, hopefully, acceptance. A new norm. A changed world. No more, nowhere is that more evident than we, when we face life's greatest enemy, death. When death comes knocking and robs us of the presence of someone that we love. There is a time to mourn and a time to be comforted. Jesus comforted Martha as she mourned the death of her brother brother Lazarus. Look again at verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning 
their brother. So Martha was comforted by Jesus' presence. He showed up. Now granted, some at the time may have questioned his timing. Others may have been willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Better late than never. But you and I have the advantage of knowing the rest of the story. His timing was perfect. And like those Jews who had come out from the city of Jerusalem, Jesus came to console them in or concerning their brother. Verse 19. After all, Jesus loved Lazarus. Remember verse 3? So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The Apostle John also seems to indicate that this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it was a prominent family in the Jewish community. Because look at how he refers to it. How else would you explain many of the Jews had come out from Jerusalem to offer their condolences? Interesting. In first century Palestine, burial took place immediately upon death. On the same day the person died. It was not their custom to preserve the body for viewing. No embalming. They wrapped the body in cloth, added some spices and perfume to attempt to mitigate some of that rancid odor that would accompany a decaying body. And I must say that from my own personal experience with the trash in these months of summer, we store the trash can in the garage, which tends to incubate those rancid odors, I think. And not to mention that we spent two years in Florida. And uh, they pick up the garbage there every three days. And most homes, I would say 95% of homes, would have a garburetor so that all that kind of stuff is chewed up and goes down the drain rather than in the garbage, because nobody would be able to live in Florida if we put in the garbage what we do up here. But anyway, the heat and humidity of Palestine would only serve to accelerate the decomposition of a human body. Lazarus's body would have been put in the tomb the same day that he died four days prior to Jesus' arrival. Verse 17. The period for mourning in this Jewish context would continue for the next 30 days. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 8, we read, So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab, on the outskirts of the promised land, for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. 30 days. That was their custom. The first seven days were more intense. One commentator offers the following description. 
In Jesus' time, men and women walked separately in the funeral procession. And after the burial, the woman returned to the grave alone, returned from the grave alone to begin the 30-day grieving period. This included frequent expressions of loud wailing and other dramatic displays of grief. In the Talmud, which is um, like a commentary of the Hebrew scriptures, it was a collection. The Talmud was a, a collection of explanations and implications of the law that the scribes and Pharisees would teach from. In the Talmud, it says that the first seven days is deep mourning, the next 30 is light mourning. And unlike our trips to the funeral home, we're there for a couple of hours, maybe three at the most, these mourners would stay for the entire seven days mourning the death of a loved one. There is a time to mourn and a time to be comforted. Martha was blessed as she mourned the death of Lazarus by Jesus' presence. He showed up. He was there. Now look at verse 20. Martha therefore went, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that Whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha was comforted by Jesus' promise. Jesus had encountered Mary and Martha earlier in his public ministry. In fact, Luke, in his report, the life and ministry of Jesus, speaks of this earlier encounter in Luke chapter 10. Let's turn there for just a moment. Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do, not, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. It's never good when a person repeats your name, right? Martha, Martha. George William. You are, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which, which shall not be taken away from her. We won't get into the details of this text. Suffice to say that did you notice the different personalities on display here? The one is aggressive and action-oriented, had a real sense of fairness. 
distracted by many things. The other, much more reflective, relational, is focused on one thing, on Jesus. Different people will mourn differently. Not everyone will respond to their losses in the same way. In fact, not everyone will respond to different losses the same way. We'll all work our way through that grieving process differently. Martha comes out to meet Jesus as he approaches Bethany. Mary stays at home with the many Jews who had come out of Jerusalem to console her. I think it's worth noting that neither was affirmed nor corrected by Jesus. How do you read Martha's initial comment as she approaches Jesus? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm sorry, whenever I hear those kinds of if statements, I hear my mother's voice echoing in my mind. If ifs and nuts were can- if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a very merry Christmas. I would say something, but but mom, if if ifs and nuts were if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a very merry Christmas. Another one of her favorites was, uh, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Okay, thanks, Mom. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to the text. Verse 21. Was this a critique? Was Martha expressing her disappointment in Jesus? His slowness to respond to their call for help? Actually, it wasn't even a call for help. It was more they were sending information. But I can't help there was a hint of expectation there. Was she inferring that it was his fault that Lazarus had died? What do you think? Many commentators would suggest that's the case. That she was... It was veiled, but there was a clear suggestion of disappointment on Martha's part. I'm not sure. Before we jump to that conclusion, look at the next phrase, the next thing she says. Even now, I know. Do you feel the conviction there? I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. How do you read that? And don't cheat. You know the end of the story. Martha didn't at this point. What do you think? What's Martha saying to Jesus? Was Martha disappointed that her brother died? You bet. She's in the midst of grief. She's mourning the loss. Could Jesus have prevented his death? Well, I think we can all agree on that. But verse 21 answers that question. Martha believed that Jesus could have prevented Lazarus' death 
had he been there? But in spite of these difficult present circumstances, in the midst of this season of mourning, that second statement seems to be an expression of faith. These present circumstances for Martha, as difficult as they were, mourning the death of a brother she loved and cared for deeply, are not going to erode her faith. She's expressing her confidence in Jesus in spite of a life-altering loss, the death of a beloved brother. And Jesus responds with words of condolence. Your brother will rise again. To which Martha responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Listen, Martha is no theological featherweight. She knew the Hebrew scriptures and she believed in a future resurrection. The Sadducees and Samaritans didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, certainly did. Turn with me to Luke chapter 20. Back to Luke's account. Begin reading at verse 27 of Luke chapter 20. Now there came to him some of the Pharisees, and then Luke makes a parenthetical statement, who say that there is no resurrection. These Pharisees, they come to him and they give him a scenario, want him to answer it. This woman is married and her husband dies, and then she marries the brother and he dies, and then she marries a brother and he dies. And I don't know what's wrong with these brothers. You'd think they'd catch on after the third one, right? This lady is the common denominator here. But anyway, uh, we read down, and all seven of them, the brothers, died. And the Sadducees say, okay, the woman finally dies. And then in the resurrection, whose wife is she? Hmm. Interesting. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age, in verse 34, marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now he's not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. Wow. Martha knew. She knew her Old Testament. She is no theological lightweight. Jesus' initial expression of condolence was expressed as a promise based on God's word. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. But those who die in the Lord will live. 
their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. Wow. We are going to be raised from the dead. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, reminds us that we are all raised from the dead. But there are two alternative destinations. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. According to the scriptures, resurrection is an unavoidable reality of death. As sure as we die, we'll be raised from the dead, every one of us. Jesus used the promise of Scripture to comfort Mary, Martha in her time of loss. There is a time to mourn and a time to be comforted. Mary was blessed as she mourned the loss of her brother, Lazarus, by Jesus' promise that her brother would rise from the dead. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Even he who comes into the world. This is one amazing lady. Martha was comforted by Jesus' personal self disclosure. Jesus continued with another one of his I am claims. This is the fifth of seven we find here in John's gospel account of the life and ministry. Of Jesus. I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. And I am the true vine in John chapter 15. Here in John chapter 11, Jesus was claiming to be the one who is responsible for resurrection and for eternal life. He is the agent, the one who would make it happen. Without Jesus, there is no resurrection. There is no eternal life. It's really a double claim. He's saying that he is the resurrection that overcomes death and he is the sustainer of all life, both physical and spiritual. Whoever is trusting Jesus Christ alone for their salvation believes that he is the Christ, the Son of God, will live spiritually 
even though he or she dies physically. But he also imparts spiritual life to the living. Remember John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And when we are born of God, well, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Or according to the New Living Translation, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, Jesus was shifting Martha's focus, wasn't she? Wasn't he? From a future event to the one who would make it happen. Martha, fix your eyes on me, the author and perfecter of faith. Resurrection and life. It is both now and future. Do you believe this? Verse 26. That was his question to Martha. It led to a confession of faith that is on the level of the Apostle Peter's confession in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Martha believed that he was the Christ, Israel's long-awaited Messiah. She believed that he was the Son of God. She believed that he was the one who came into the world. In other words, she's, a, she's living on the other side of the cross, but she's thoroughly convinced of the incarnation. Jesus, God dressed in human flesh. Amazing. There's a time to mourn and a time to be comforted. Martha was blessed as she mourned the death of Lazarus, her beloved brother, by Jesus' personal self-disclosure. He lit it up. He illuminated the truth by telling her exactly who he was. The light shining in the darkness. Clearly, God comforts the brokenhearted. Clearly, God, your God, my God, comforts the brokenhearted. Jesus, as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, displayed here that God comforts the brokenhearted in the life of a lady by the name of Martha. The psalmist affirms the same in Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
hear these words from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. God comforts the brokenhearted. There's a time to mourn, and there is a time to be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted by, by God's presence. Psalm 46, verse 1, a favorite of mine. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble. And at the end of the Great Commission, Jesus assures his followers, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus is reflecting on his imminent departure, his own death, when he states, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Again, listen to the Apostle Paul as he describes that helper's influence in our lives. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And that leads us to the next source of comfort, the things freely given to us by God. Blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted by God's promises. I apologize for my typo in that handout. Can you change that 1 Peter to 2 Peter, please? Chapter 1, verse 4. It reads this way. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust precious and magnificent promises. In my recent memory work, I've been working my way through a pack of 12 verses entitled, Rely on God's Resources. And the latest two verses that I've been working on have a, a memory hook that says, um, uh, what is it now? Read Figures I'd forget it when I'm standing in front of a crowd, right? <laughs> Rely on God's resources and his faithfulness. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man 
that he should repent, nor the Son of Man that, that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Rhetorical questions. He said it, he will do it. He promised it, he will make it good. Blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted by God's presence, by God's promises, and thirdly, by God's person. Psalm 34, verse 8, offers a taste challenge. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The very essence of God's nature is goodness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 inspired the hymnist to write these words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Out of his goodness, God comforts us. Blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. By God's presence, by God's promises, and by God's person, who he is in his nature. There is a time to mourn, and there is a time to be comforted. Let's pray. Father, Jesus said in this world we would have trouble. And some of those troubles will thrust us into a season of mourning. Thank you that your rod and your staff, they offered comfort. Indeed, we've just read that you are the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort others with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from you. Keep us from discouragement and fear. Enable us to stimulate one another to love and good works. Encouraging one another. All the more as we see the day approaching. Come, Lord Jesus, come. For it is in your name that we ask these things, anticipating that day when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And there will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, crying, or pain. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.